Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStoryPodcast.com. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the new sponsor of the podcast. Yes, we have a sponsor. We've made it big. It's a company called Invested Interests. And one of its creators is a former Peace Corps volunteer, Chris Norris. Invested Interest, it's interest with an S, builds personalized investment portfolios to match your financial goals with your values. Do you want to avoid fossil fuel and oil companies? They offer an environment portfolio. Don't want to contribute to war profiteering of weapons manufacturers or oppressive regimes abroad? They have a peace portfolio for that. Maybe you're interested in supporting gender and racial diversity in the workplace. There are portfolios for that too. And socially responsible investing doesn't have to sacrifice returns. Like all investments, returns are never guaranteed, but socially responsible investing has outperformed the S&P 500 for the last 25 years. Listeners of this podcast will receive a $50 bonus when they sign up. Just visit investedinterests.com slash Peace Corps and use the promo code Peace Corps. Again, that's investedinterests.com slash Peace Corps, promo code Peace Corps invested interest. Invest in what matters. And if you'd like to hear the full interview I did with Chris, check out the episode from November 27th. Well, let's get into this week's episode where I talk with Michelle Claus about her time serving in Uganda from May 2012 to July 2014, uh, officially as an economic development volunteer, but as Peace Corps volunteers uh, tend to do, uh, ended up doing things in another sector, uh, youth development. We talk about her service, the highs, the lows, and meeting her dog, Siggy. So we learned about Siggy, how they came to know each other, uh, their time in Uganda, and uh, how the story ends a little bit. So uh, I think you guys will really enjoy that. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is, this is, this is, this is my, my Peace Corps, Peace Corps, my Peace Corps, my Peace Corps story, story, story. My name is Michelle Claude and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Michelle, how are you doing? Good, Tyler. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well and excited to talk with you today about your time in Uganda and the story of uh, your your dog. Uh, this was sort of what, what caught my attention when you originally reached out to me about this uh, dog that you acquired during your service. Uh, kind of like tried to to make sure that it had a place to live when when you left, and then ended up uh, in the end coming back with you. So talking about that and uh, exploring your service at large as well. Yeah, I'm excited to, to tell our story. Well, let the listeners uh, know a little bit about you. Uh, who is Michelle Claus? 
Um, so I am from the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. I joined the Peace Corps um, in, in Flutie, Uganda, about a year after I graduated from college. Um, and I served in 2012 to 2014. Uh, Uganda is also known as the Pearl of Africa. Um, and I was officially an economic development volunteer, um, but I ended up doing a lot more with youth development throughout my service. Okay. And what was the, the driving factor for you joining the Peace Corps? Was this something that you had wanted to do for a really long time or something that came up as you were nearing graduation and looking for that next opportunity and it felt like a good fit? Uh, yeah, I didn't really think too much about Peace Corps uh, until my last year in college. Um, and I had a, a really good friend who kind of pushed me to apply for it. Um, I always wanted to travel abroad, which I never had the opportunity to do while I was in school. Um, and so this kind of was a, a really good fit for me after school. I didn't have a plan. And um, hey, Peace Corps sounded like a great adventure. Mm -hmm. and, and that it is. But what, what exactly were you doing in Uganda? You said that you were an uh, economic development volunteer, but ended up doing more youth development. What kind of projects were you doing in Uganda? Um, I was placed at a primary school and pretty confused about that as an economic development volunteer um, <laughs> because a lot of the training <laughs> was very different <laughs> from what I expected when I got to site. Um, so I kind of, my flexible or my schedule is very flexible um, and it wasn't structured at all. So I kind of did what I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up promoting physical fitness with a lot of the students by just um, playing and doing silly exercise. Uh, we did a little Zumba yoga mixes. I'd put music on in the background and we get together a couple times a week. Um, I also tried promoting environmental awareness and I would have the students go around and consolidate a lot of the trash around the school and around the, the area. Um, and as a reward, we watch a movie. Started off by watching Planet Earth videos just because I thought, hey, that's kind of environmental related. And then once I ran out of Planet Earth videos, we would watch Marvel movies and the kids loved the Marvel movies. Um, I ended up also teaching life skills with a local community group. Um, one of the last projects I completed before leaving Uganda um, was I got a, a grant from USAID to build a playground that I designed and I worked with um, local welders and carpenters and I had to come up with all the measurements and designs for the playground equipment. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun, but I ended up putting it in the ground two days before I left. So I didn't really get to see it used a whole lot. Um, other than that, away from site, I was very active in a lot of the volunteer run camps. Throughout Uganda, we would do um, a national camp once a year for um, young women and young men. And then throughout the year, each region in Uganda, um, they would put on their own camp. Okay. Uh I, I love that you showed both Planet Earth and then uh, Marvel movies uh, <laughs> to, to the kids as a reward. Uh, 
those might be two of my favorite genres, either nature films or superheroes. Uh, did they did they have a favorite uh, Marvel movie? They really liked the X-Men movies, and that could have been because there's so many of them, uh, but they, they, they were always really excited to see what the next X-Men movie would be about. Um, and that's true for me, too. I love environmental movies like Planet Earth and Marvel movies, so that's kind of what I wanted to watch, and so I watched it with the kids together. <laughs> And then the these camps that you were doing, can you explain a little bit more about these camps? How is the structure? What exactly were you doing at them? Um, yeah, so the the camps I was mostly involved with were the GLOW camps, which stands for Girls Leading Our World. I know there's a couple of other, other um, Peace Corps countries who do these camps, um, but the, it's a youth empowerment camp for young women. Um, we bring them in for the, the national camps. We'll um, partner with local Ugandan leaders um, and have them kind of co-counselor with Peace Corps volunteers. Um, the, the campers are between the ages of 13 and 15, and they are selected by Peace Corps volunteers um, in their communities as representatives um, for the region in the hopes that what they learned throughout this week-long camp, they can take back with them um, and then kind of maybe start a, a globe group of their own at their local school um, or within their community. Uh, I, as one of so my, my first year in Peace Corps, uh, I ended up as a counselor for my first globe camp, and then I ended up becoming a co-director um, for the National uh, Glow Camp, which was also within my first year of service. And my goal, or my, um, what I was mainly doing for, uh, as a co-director was I built, or I made a 70-page manual, which is more like a, a resource booklet that we use throughout the, the week of camp. And it's filled with lessons plan, lesson plans and activities. Um, I also kept track of time and made sure that things ran smoothly throughout the week. Um, some of the, the activities that we did, so we would do four sessions a day, um, and some of the, the sessions included life skills, so maybe teaching self-esteem or goal setting. Uh, there's also business development sessions, which included financial literacy, um, income generation activities, and we kind of taught the girls how to make these things called RUMPs, which are, it stands for reusable menstrual pads. Um, I really got into to rumps because it, it's such a cool program. So we would teach these girls how to use local materials and um, they could make these rumps either for themselves or for their friends. They could make a, a, a bunch of these rumps and then sell them as an income generation activity. Um, so I really like that project. Uh, another session we would teach is health education, um, which included mosquito net repair, nutrition, sanitation, family planning. Uh, so just a, a whole bunch of activities throughout the week. Wow. So pretty, pretty wide ranging. And for these glow camps, were there only young girls there or were there girls and boys? There for the glow camps, there were only uh, girls, but we would have like a counter camp that we would usually put on the same time. Uh, Uganda, we called it Build camp, which is 
uh, boys in leadership and development, I think that's what it stands for. Um, and usually we would host these two camps at the same time in the same region. And then one day throughout the camp, we'd bring them together and do these, uh, do a couple sessions together. So, um, one of the, the sessions that we did, I think, um, was gender roles. Uh, so we would, you know, put a, a bunch of tasks on the board. And then on one side, we'd have, you know, men. And then the other side, we'd have women or, or male and female. And then these tasks, so some of them were driving a motorcycle or driving a taxi, sweeping, cooking, cleaning. Um, and we would have the, so we have the, both the, the boys and the girls together in the same classroom and we'd have them kind of move these um, tasks either on the men's side or the women's side. And then in the middle, we had both. And so we would go over these. Um, we'd have the, the students go up and kind of place all these tasks where they thought they would go. And then afterwards, we'd kind of go over with them. Okay, so why do you think that women only sweep or women only do the cooking? I mean, are men physically capable of cooking? Yes. So that would go in full just because they don't and it's not um, a huge part of the culture for men to do the cooking for the family. It doesn't mean that they can't also do the cooking. Okay. So it's, that seems like, you know, uh, possibly a, a, a challenging activity for, for them or to maybe wrap their head around with. Was there anything that, that was that they wouldn't concede could be both uh, that was difficult for them to say, okay, yeah, we get it. Or were they pretty um, amenable to it as you were talking through the exercise? Uh, I think, I think they got a good idea of it. Um, There's not anything in particular that I can think of, um, but it was pretty shocking when, you know, with the the motorcycle driving, it was another form of public transportation that locals would take. Um, when we went over and said that, you know, women can do this too, it was kind of shocking for, for a lot of the campers. Mm-hmm. And then I, I want I want to jump back for a second to the playground that you finished uh, days before uh, leaving your site. What exactly did the playground entail? Because I know what a I know what a playground looks like and what it has in the United States, but I'm I'm guessing that. Uh, Uganda playground may have a few different things, uh, some of what all that I'm, I'm used to. So what exactly was in your playground? Uh, so I tried using as much locally sourced materials as I could. Uh, I ended up purchasing a lot of used tires, um, and I had to inspect them and make sure there wasn't any metal sticking out. Um, and what I would do is I would dig a hole and then half bury it in the ground. Um, And I was able to make some cool patterns with that. I also made uh, monkey bars and the, I had, that's the, one of the ones that I had to work with the welders with because they weren't really familiar with with monkey bars. Um, They had them throughout Uganda, just not where I was. So, so I had to do a lot of research and figure out, okay, the spacing between the bars and, and how, you know, is it a half inch uh, thick or is it a half inch and a quarter thick? So I did a lot of research myself um, on trying to figure out a lot of the stuff. I did uh, pull-up bars and like a sit-up platform 
Um, and then I, I wouldn't call it cheating, but I ended up getting some play, already made playground equipment from Kampala, um, which included um, teeter-totters, and I had a swing set put in and a slide. I mean, that stuff would have been a little bit more difficult for me to instruct some, some welders on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, de- definitely. I, I, had- of, I added a lot of color to it. <laughs> yeah, I had several projects, uh, either for things I was doing in my community or even for my own home that I would like take to either the welder or the carpenter and have all drawn up and they would just be dumbfounded as I'm trying to <laughs> explain these things that I wanted them uh, to, ma- to make or build. Uh, ha- how was that explaining, uh, monkey bars? I mean, had they even seen monkey bars? Um, it, I mean, they didn't really ask too many questions. They're like, okay, this is what she wants. I guess this is what they're, uh, we're going to do. Um, the, the one thing that was kind of challenging when I was working with the carpenters, um, was the, the pull up bars. So Mm -hmm. I used a, a piece of, um, metal pipe and then connected to wooden posts. And I mm-hmm. had them drill a hole at the top of the wooden post that these pipes would fit into. And then we, we cemented that into the ground. So for them, they're kind of like, okay, why are we drilling this hole halfway through the post? And like all the posts were different shapes. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting to explain to them, like trying to figure out like, yeah, pull up bars, like exercise. <laughs> you, you did a lot of projects, uh, you know, very varied, uh, definitely outside of uh, economic development of of what you were, I guess, supposed to be doing. Um, but let's uh, get into the the story of uh, your dog. So, how did you come to uh, be the owner of this dog? Um. So I was thinking about getting a dog for a couple months at that point. Um, there was, this was probably about, um, a year, a little more than a year in my service where I was thinking about getting a dog because my house was broken into a few times and dogs are generally very good security. Um, and the, the compound that I lived on, they already had a dog, but it was small and very not intimidating. Um, his name was big dog and he was definitely not big, <laughs> um, but he, he kind of just roamed a lot, around a little bit. But so I figured if I got another dog that I could train this dog to be more, you know, for my personal benefit and a security dog, and then I could leave him there. So that was my original thought into getting a dog. Um, So for a while, I was looking at uh, possibilities of where to get a dog from. And then I ended up um, after directing one of the, the, the national glow camps, for a little vacation, I went to the eastern uh, portion of Uganda. Near, it's kind of on the border of uh, near the Kenyan border. Um, but I went with a couple other volunteers for a weekend, and we we're going to Sippy Falls, um, which is this lesser-known tourist attraction in Uganda. Um, and then what you do is it's uh, Sippy Falls is a set of three waterfalls about a five mile round trip to hike to all the falls um and so i was you know me and a couple volunteers we were going on this hike and in between the the 
biggest waterfall, which is the lowest one, and the upper waterfall, um, we were walking through this village, and we were on this very small footpath, and there was this woman who was walking in the opposite direction of us that we were passing, and she had two puppy dogs in a plastic bag. And because I was thinking of getting a dog, there was one I had in mind actually at Camp Glow um, that I became friends with, and he was a stray, but he was a little bit bigger, and I couldn't figure out how I would have transported him all the way to my site, which was in southwestern Uganda. So I, I, there's this lady coming towards us in the village, and, and she's got these two little puppy dogs, and they're the perfect size. And all I kept thinking was like, oh, man, that would be so much easier to transport that dog that far away. So I kind of asked her where she was going with the dogs, making sure she wasn't going to keep them, and they're not hers. And she was actually on the way to the market to sell them. And so I struck up a conversation with her and asked her how much she was selling them for and ended up bargaining with her and talking her down to 20,000 Ugandan shillings, which is only about eight U.S. dollars. Um, and none of the other volunteers thought to talk me out of this and think I was crazy, <laughs> which was the biggest thing. Um, so I had Sippy um, and brought him back to, to my village and it took me three days on public transportation. Um, I would stop over and stay with other volunteers, um, but I, I transported him in this basket that was typically used for, for keeping food in and fruit in. And it was just a perfect little, I put a little blanket in there and the puppy dog, and he, he just slept the entire time. Um, he is, and he's still to this day, a great travel dog. But I... Every day at site, I would spend I, would, I spent 24 hours with this dog. Um, my original plan was to have him sleep outside, and of course that didn't work because he was too cute. <laughs> um, but I would take him, um, you know, on on village hikes because I felt very comfortable at that point. Um, having him with me, I would walk throughout the village with him and and just kind of explore all over the place. I'd take him to the market with me. Uh, I'd play with the kids at the school uh, and, and bring the dog with me, and and they'd. If you would chase after a couple of them and then the kids would run away screaming. Then he'd chase after a couple other kids and they'd run away screaming. Um, and I guess I didn't get into where I got his name from, but that, that should be pretty obvious. <laughs> um, but so everybody throughout the town that I lived near knew Sippy by name. And if I didn't bring him to town with me, they would ask first how he was and then and they'd ask how I was doing. Or sometimes they wouldn't even ask how I was doing. They'd just be, oh, where is Sippy at? <laughs> and how is Sippy doing? Uh, um, but it's fun that everybody got to know Sippy <laughs> and they cared about him a little bit. Um, but he he would get bees and, and ticks like crazy all the time too. So even when he was a, a tiny little puppy that could fit into to both my hands, um, I would spend every night at least an hour or two picking fleas and ticks off of him, which I thought were disgusting before going to Uganda. And then after I had to take them off my own cute, adorable little puppy dog, I just got, I got so good at picking fleas and ticks off. I didn't even have to look at him when I was doing it. Um, but that's Peace Corps entertainment. I mean, especially in the, the wet season, there wasn't much to do and I didn't have um, electricity. So there's definitely wasn't any television to watch so that was kind of a form of entertainment for me (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, it, it's funny the the things we end up uh, finding amusement in and uh, doing to to pass the time. I thought uh, my love of chopping wood was weird, um, but you definitely have me beat. Yeah, we go through a lot of weird stuff in Peace Corps. <laughs> Well, you 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 had this dog, uh, Sippy, and you got him kind of towards the the end of your service. Yeah, it was about three or four months before my service was ending, where I really started to think more about what I was going to do with this dog when I spent so much time with and the. The compound wasn't there just because it was near a major road. And I knew if I would have left him there and left Uganda, I would have just thought about him all the time. And, and hey, um, just because we left two roads in Uganda, a lot of times they don't pay much attention or care when animals cross the road. Um, so I kind of started thinking of leaving him with another volunteer. Um, leaving him at uh, a hostel or a lodge. Um, maybe there was another family further in the village that would have taken him and taken care of him. Um, so I was kind of just keeping this in the back of my mind and, and thinking about it the whole time. I wasn't really um, planning on bringing him home at all at that point. I thought about it, but it just with traveling after Peace Corps, um, it wasn't something that seemed at the time. So um, one weekend, I went on this little mini vacation with a couple volunteers to Lake Vignoni, which is in the southwest. It's about a six-hour uh, public transportation ride from where I was living at the time. And it's this very magical, remote lake, um, breathtaking views. I mean, this this lake there's over 20 islands in this lake and then um on these islands there's uh one of the islands i know has a school a church there might be homes or an entire village on some of these islands um hospitals and then there'd always be this eco lodge that a couple of volunteers and myself would go to once in a while and so we were spending the weekend there and, and the manager of this eco lodge was, um, and I brought Sippy with me, of course, we went everywhere with me. Um, but the manager was kind of wondering like, Oh, where did you get this dog from? And I mean, it's a very well, you know, good looking dog. And we're, they were kind of thinking about getting a dog as security for their eco lodge. Um, so it, it worked out to where, you know, I have it. I was just talking to them about, I mean, would you be interested in, in keeping my dog here if I could come back and visit a couple times before I left? Um, I mean, they fed him crayfish and all the scraps from the food that we were eating, and they made really good food. So I knew he was going to get fat. I didn't have to worry about him getting run over because it was on an island. Um, so I, I kind of was at peace with leaving him there because I knew he would be safe. Um, so... I, that weekend, um, I ended up leaving him there and I took a boat ride back to the, the mainland and I just had this calm about myself and I was, I was completely okay with leaving. Um, 
So right after that trip, I ended up going to a regional uh, camp, and it was actually it was a very unique camp. It was the first time they did it in Uganda, where it was a glow and build camp combined, um, where they, of course, boarded the, the boys and girls separately, but all of the activities, they would be together, which was very cool. Uh, um, so I was kind of distracted for the next two weeks by uh, working at this camp. I was a staff member. Um, and I would kind of mainly lead all the, the free time activities. Um, but towards the end of the week, the eco lodge called me and they told me to come and get my dog. <laughs> and I was, I was very confused. I mean, I, I, I gave him up and I accepted that. And then they, they called me back to come get him. And so I just, oh, I was, I was kind of frustrated after that um but the the main reason why they wanted me to come get him is he was up to a little mischief he ended up getting a hold of a guest shoe and i mean he was what five five months six months at this point so he's still a puppy he's got a lot to learn um but he ended up getting a hold of somebody's shoe and i guess the shoe is pretty expensive and the eco you know the manager didn't pay for the shoe and i'm grateful for that because i didn't have the money for it as a peaceful volunteer um but yeah, so I, I uh, after that, going back and, and getting Zippy. <laughs> and that, the boat ride back with Zippy, he had this look on his face like he won, like he knew what he was doing. And, and that kind of, um, to me, I mean, I, at that point, it was, it was meant to be, I had to figure out how to get this dog home. And I didn't really know how I was going to do it yet. Um, but I, I definitely had to come up with a plan to do that. <laughs> and in the end, uh, Sippy comes home with you, but how did you do that? What did you have to do to, to bring this, uh, village dog, uh, all the way from Uganda back to the United States? Um, I had, I was fortunate enough to have a friend in Uganda. She was not a Peace Corps volunteer but she was actually living in Uganda for seven years, I believe, at the time. Um, so she had a lot of good connections. She had a really good housing system and a fencing compound, um, and it just so happened that she had three dogs of her own. So Sippy was getting a little bit too big for me in the village. It was getting too hard um, and difficult for me to take him on public transportation because at that point, I, there were some times, I'm not going to lie, I had to buy an extra seat just for my dog. And I would get weird looks from Ugandans all the time. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was what it is. Um, so I took Sippy to my friend's house, and she watched him for the, the next three months because um, my service was ending after that. So I would go and see Sippy I would try to see him once every two weeks, um, sometimes a little bit more frequently, but she took care of Sippy like she was, you know, like, like he was her own. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. So when I was getting closer to COS, um, my friend, she also had her own vehicle, which was very, very helpful. So we took the, um, Sippy and one of her dogs to Kampala because the plan was that she was leaving Uganda soon, and we were going to fly two dogs out at a time. She was going to be on the, the plane with them, 
which means all we had to pay for was um, the dogs were considered an extra bag of luggage at that point. Um, so we took the dogs to the Capitol, and um, according to the, the airline that she was taking them on, they had to be microchipped. Uh, they had to be up to date on rabies, shots like Parvo, and they needed to get blood work. Um, the blood work was kind of just to make sure there wasn't any strange diseases or anything that they'd bring back to them and that they were healthy. Um, and then they had to get signed off on by a vet and that paperwork had to be brought with them um, for their, their transportation on the plane. And then the last thing was they just had to have TSA approved crates. And, you know, my friend already had those, which was perfect. Um, so I kind of made sure that everything was set up before I left country because um, my plan was to travel after Peace Corps. And I actually got a teaching position in Taiwan um, teaching English that I've never done before. And I had it set up in the U.S. that my parents were going to meet my friend at the airport in, I think Sippy was flying into Minnesota, uh, in the Twin Cities. And my parents were going to drive all the way up there from Detroit, pick them up, and then keep my dog for an entire year. Um, but things kind of changed after that. Um, I did end up traveling after Peace Corps. Uh, but three months after when I was done traveling, I ended up going home and meeting um, my friend Nicole and the dogs at the airport. So that was that was a, a really good experience. And I'm really glad I, I actually left Taiwan early to go do that. Well, now that uh, Sippy is in the United States, uh, how is he doing? How is he liking uh, American living? I think he's liking it a little bit too much. <laughs> um, he's very spoiled. But where I live, it's kind of it's a perfect situation for him. Um, I live in a very wooded area in um in central Indiana, I guess, central southern Indiana. Uh, and I take him hiking and camping, backpacking all the time. So he's, and, you know, we go for hikes at the, the park you know, off leash a couple times a day. So he is very, very spoiled here. But I'm really glad that I have him. Well, glad to hear that he's doing well. And you, you talked about a, a lot of things that were extremely enjoyable in your Peace Corps service. It seemed like you, you did a lot uh, and you had a, a good service overall. At least that's what I'm, I, I'm hearing uh, and, and gleaning from what you've said so far. But is there anything that you struggled with or something that was difficult for you as a volunteer in Uganda? Um, yeah, I was actually in Uganda uh, a year into my service when um, there was a lot of international backlash towards Uganda because they wanted to pass uh, the anti-homosexuality bill. And this was in 2013. Um, so there were quite a few countries that were threatening to pull out aid completely or um, shifting it from government organizations to other organizations. Um, and I mean, I'm gay and I was completely out back home. Uh, it was a big part of my identity. And as soon as I got into um, Peace Corps, I was back in the positive. And we were told during our Peace Corps training 
that if you are gay, it is dangerous to be out in Uganda just because of the, the political climate there. Um, and it's not widely accepted. There are a lot of um, beliefs in, uh, about myths about, homophob- like, about homophobia and, um, and homosexuality in Uganda. Like, I mean, within, oh man, during training even, um, I remember my host sister. So we, we actually, the training in, in Uganda was a bit different for my group. Um, we were together for the first two weeks, and then we were placed in our region um, that we were going to learn our language because there are over 120-some different languages and dialects in Uganda alone. So during service, they placed us in the region of the language that we were going to learn so we can learn a little bit easier. And I remember my, my host sister, um, we were walking from the training center back home one day, and she even mentioned something. And it was the first mention I heard of, um, you know, homophobia in Uganda, where she was bashing the West for, for bringing um, homosexuality to Uganda. And, I mean, I didn't say anything. And I definitely wasn't out. Um, and I don't even know where this conversation came from or why she brought it up. But that kind of put me on edge. And that was the first time I heard something of it. Um, but some of the other myths in Uganda is that, um, you know, homosexuals and gays are promoting, um, promoting homosexuality or recruiting more gays, recruiting children. Um, and that's, I mean, of course we know that's it's totally not a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, when the, the bill was passed, I was at a Peace Corps conference and so I was surrounded by, um, other Peace Corps volunteers and we were put up in a a hotel and I don't even really remember what the conference was about. I think it was something health related, maybe um, malaria or HIV, but we were eating breakfast and it was one of the first days of the conference and there was a TV. It was one of the the very rare times I was in front of a TV in Uganda and let let alone having the news be on the TV. Usually they would play like, you know, a, a telenovela or some drama show um, but we were watching the news and the president, um, shows up on TV and they, they ended up, uh, announcing that they just passed the bill and it was in December. And I remember, um, some lady, I think she was from parliament saying that they wanted to pass the bill as a Christmas present to all Ugandans. And that just made my stomach sick. Um, I, as soon as the bill was passed, I kind of shut down. And I didn't really participate in the conference. Um, I was very anxious a lot. I mean, and, but it, it was it was good being around other Peace Corps volunteers. Um, at that time, I was out to to a lot of my fellow Peace Corps volunteers and see their reactions as well. Um, it was really nice for for me to be around that and see how much they cared. Um, but I was definitely, I mean, especially when I was in the city or when I travel, I felt very anxious. Um, I saw, I thought everybody could see right through me and knew that I was gay. I felt unwelcomed. I didn't know why I was still in Uganda at that point. Um, it definitely affected my service a lot. Um, but it, 
I'm I was very surprised with the Peace Corps reaction, Peace Corps Uganda's reaction. They actually gave us an out. And because of the, the passing of the bill, um, they let us if we wanted to, they would have let us leave service early uh, with the benefits. I believe this is how it went. Um, I didn't end up leaving early, but with the benefits of a full service return Peace Corps volunteer. Um, wow. instead of just leaving and not, not getting any of those benefits. So I was, I mean, it was really nice to see the, the support of Peace Corps that way. Um, they also did a, a safe space training with select staff members that were Ugandan. So there, there were a couple Ugandan staff members that I think you know, knew that I was gay um, and that I would have felt safe and comfortable talking with. But I definitely didn't feel safe being out in my community. I didn't have anybody I was close with. Um, so that really affected, um, you know, who, who I would befriend on, on social media throughout my service. I didn't really make any connections or and to this day, a lot of times I don't want to accept friend requests from Ugandans just because of the stuff that I'll post on there. And I didn't want to put myself at risk um, or any of my friends. So that was, yeah, that was, that was really difficult in Uganda. But, but the, the strange thing was, I mean, when I was in a big, like a, a big city like Kampala, I was really anxious. But when I went back to my village, um, everything felt fine. And I felt um, relaxed and at ease just because I don't know if a lot of people didn't know that the bill was passed or they didn't care. Um, but. Yeah, so that that was kind of nice. It was a challenge, um, but I'm I'm glad that I eventually felt comfortable in my community again over time. Mm -hmm. um, and then just as an update too, right after I left Uganda, the the bill was um, actually deemed invalid, and um, due to a legal technicality, so it's it's no longer um, a bill, even though I think they're trying to pass another one. Wow, well, I mean, what, a, what an experience. I know I've, I've had volunteers come on who have talked about their sexual orientation and how they had it to navigate certain things during their service. Uh, but to have uh, a bill passed where, you know, the, the government and the people of Uganda were saying that, no, this, this thing, which you identify with, which is core to your being, uh, is illegal. Um, just, just going through that, I, I can't even imagine. Did, did anyone in your community ever know uh, that you were gay? No. I, I really distanced myself from my community because of that, because I, I felt like I was almost living a lie the entire time I was in Uganda. Um, one of the, the most frequent questions that would be asked is, you know, where's your husband or are you married? Do you have kids? And even if I had a, a partner back home, I wouldn't have been able to tell them that. So there were some times where I would kind of, you know, make a, a fake boyfriend up back home just to, to have people um, stop asking me that question over and over again. Uh, but Uganda is a very, very religious country as well. Um, and so that's kind of where a lot of that comes from. Um, 
with the, the anti-homosexuality and all the myths that are, are brought up. Mm-hmm. Well, through, through all of that and your service in general, uh, is there something that you learned in Peace Corps that has stayed with you? Um, I, I learned, I mean, there's so much that I learned throughout uh, my Peace Corps service, but definitely I gained a lot more confidence in myself and my abilities to be independent. Um, I also kept with me a lot of the, you know, the, the really good connections I made with other Peace Corps volunteers. Um, I kind of realized the importance of that because they, I mean, through all that, um, I mean, I had a great service, um, even though, you know, all Peace Corps services, there's a lot of ups and downs, but I got a lot of support from my fellow Peace Corps volunteers. And I mean, even to this day, it's really important for me to, to stay in touch with them and, um, you know, call them on the phone once in a while just to see how they're doing and catch up with them. And, um, yeah, I was, I was really involved with the, the peer support network, too, um, which is where you have Peace Corps volunteers who are available and they, they remain available anytime for other Peace Corps volunteers to call them if they have issues or, or troubles or they just want to talk about something. Um, and so that that support um, has been so important to me and I've definitely carried that with me um, and my friends back home. Well, Michelle, I've enjoyed hearing about your service, uh, about SIPI uh, and, and everything that you were able to do as a volunteer. Is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? Um. Yeah, I guess one of the most important things, if you're thinking about joining Peace Corps uh, or applying, um, I mean, just stick with it. If, if it's something you really want to do, intuition is, is a very um, powerful uh, force to listen to within yourself. Um, but keep expectations realistic. I know a lot of times people got very disappointed, um, but if you keep expectations realistic or low, then that just leaves more room to, um, to, you know, get excited about or to be surprised. Um, also along the lines, if you do end up getting a pet while you're in Peace Corps, um, it is kind of nice to have a plan for them ahead of time. Um, because it caused me a lot of stress and anxiety as well when I was trying to think about what to do with, with Sippy and who's going to take care of him. Um, Obviously, I didn't have a plan, so sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out that way, <laughs> and it's still, everything is okay, um, but it does kind of help if you if you want to reduce your, your anxiety level a bit during Peace Corps. Uh, yes, that, that goes for having a pet and uh, s- several things. Uh, plans sometimes are nice, but then kind of also relating back to the, f- the first point, uh, definitely have realistic expectations and don't don't do too much research and don't do too much planning and, and build up what you think is is going to happen uh, because it changes and it changes rapidly. Uh, learn learn to go with the flow. Yep, and I'm sure everybody's heard this enough, but everybody's Peace Corps experience is unique and completely different from each other. Uh, most definitely. 
Well, Michelle, I have had a blast talking with you. Uh, to close out the show, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? Um, I don't know if this would be a local saying uh, or it would be considered a quote, but one of the, the things I remember the most um, and the language that I, I spoke or tried learning as best I could um, was ringing kole. So it is oine emitue in kai which means you have the manners of a goat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I love that, uh, especially since a lot of times when people come on, they they give some sort of eloquent saying, philosophical, something along the lines of maybe go with the flow, it'll be all right. Uh, but sometimes people just have the manners of a goat. Um, so so uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, and it's it's actually come in handy a couple times too. So <laughs> perfect. Uh, well, Michelle, thank you for taking time and sharing your story with us, the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story Podcast. And thank you for letting me tell mine and Sippy's story. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on the show and telling your story and Sippy's story. Thank you, Invested Interests, for investing a little bit in me. Uh, being the first sponsor of the show, really great that it was a company started by a returned Peace Corps volunteer uh, helping me uh, bring the show to you guys. So if you are interested in invested interests, head on over to investedinterests.com slash Peace Corps. Use promo code Peace Corps and you will receive a $50 bonus when you sign up. Guys, I absolutely love doing this show. I loved helping other volunteers tell their stories. So if you have a story, if you know of someone who has a story, uh, if you're part of a return Peace Corps volunteer group uh, back in the United States, uh, let everybody in your group know about this podcast, what I'm doing, uh, because eventually I want to tell at least one story from every single country that has had a Peace Corps volunteer in it. I've got a lot to go, but... I look forward to telling them. So, until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>